Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we welcome a guest into our studio, a man we know and love, my husband Derek. Hi, Derek. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We figured we'd invite you up to get your perspective, your expat perspective, because while I laze about our beautiful apartment, you actually have to trudge off to school across the city every single day. It is because of you that we're here. So we thought, why just be a guy we talk about when you can be a guy on the podcast? Sure. Well, glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Tiffany? What should we ask him? Oh, we have, I have lots of questions. I know through you, through both of you, that Derek has also been an expat in other places. So I would like to know what is different about this experience as opposed to your previous expat experiences. And where, where exactly have you been an expat? I was an officer in the Navy for about seven years. And Katie and I are from Seattle. But while I was in the Navy, I lived in Virginia and Rhode Island. And then I spent some time in Seoul, South Korea, and then in England in a town about 45 minutes north of London out in the farm country. Also in college, you were in Prague. That's right. That was just a little three-month study abroad. I wouldn't say that I lived there. Okay. Which one of those places would you say you liked the best? Well, I don't know. I mean, they're all different. I liked I liked all of them for different reasons. Korea was the first... Well, Prague was the first place that I lived where I really sort of felt foreign. But Korea, I really felt foreign. Korea... As a white person, there's not any way to blend in in Korea. So you just feel very different than everyone else. And that was a different experience for me. I I mean, Spokane, where I grew up, is 98% white. And so I never had the experience of being a minority before. And that was a really powerful experience for me and an important one, I think. The other thing about living in Korea that I really enjoyed was that it was very strange because I don't read Korean And even if I did, I I don't speak Korean, so I wouldn't understand what I was reading. And so I wasn't advertised to at all, which was kind of a weird thing. It's a weird experience of having your mind being totally at ease that you don't ever have anywhere else in any English-speaking city or any really European city where you can at the very least make out words that you know and you're constantly being having these messages implanted in your brain. But in Korea, I didn't know what anybody was trying to say to me, and I didn't know what anybody was trying to show me through any of these signs. So my mind was completely free to wander and think my own thoughts. And that was a really, that was an experience I really enjoyed. That's very interesting. I've never thought about it in in those terms. Of course, the golden arches are universal, (laughs) right? That's true. That is true. (laughs) I read something really sad recently that the golden arches are now more recognizable than the Christian cross. Wow. In the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. I did a lot of trips to Vietnam with my father. He was doing a lot of aid work over there. And people used to always ask him, since he traveled to Vietnam something like 25 times, how come you don't know any Vietnamese at all? And, of course, part of that was just no will to want to know. But, um, <laughs> you know, he always could get along just fine. But he also said that uh, one of the reasons was that he didn't want to be advertised to. And he thought that if he started to be able to read Vietnamese, then all he would see is drink Coke, eat chicken, come here, fresh food. And so he thought, same thing. How nice is it not to know what they're saying? 
Yeah, that's very true. So since you're an expat now in Rome, and I know that you do speak a certain amount of Italian, what would you think is the major difference in your experience in your day-to-day life between living in Korea and living here? The major experiences in my day-to-day life between Korea and, and Italy don't have a whole lot to do with the language, to be perfectly honest. When I was in Korea, I lived really in an American enclave. I lived in an army base in the middle of the city, Yongsan Army Garrison. All of my acquaintances were American, except for the few Korean nationals that I worked with. I had very little interaction with the people of Korea or the economy of Korea even. I mean, we had a grocery store on the base. There was, I think, there might have been a bowling alley on the base. There was definitely a movie theater on the base. There was a Starbucks on the base. A Taco Bell. I mean, it was it's a major operation, right? They they go to pretty great lengths so that people who are in the military don't actually have to engage with the economy around them very much. And there are positive things and negative things about that, of course. Here, you know, I'm very much more out in the world around me. I go to a school where most of the faculty um, are not native English speakers, although classes are mostly taught in English. A couple of my classes have been taught in Italian. We have to shop in Italian stores. We have to interact with Italians much more frequently than I had to interact with Koreans when I was in Korea. Language-wise, I mean, it helps to know a little bit of Italian, although, frankly, I feel like my Italian has gotten worse since I've been here, not better. Um, <laughs> no, how is that possible? That can't be possible. That's just I think that's probably your perception of it. It could be. I think that my comprehension of Italian has gotten much better. And so maybe that's part of it, is that now I understand what's going on and I feel much more limited in my ability to respond and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I first got here, I was like, ah, I can get those train tickets, no problem. (laughs) Stand aside, (laughs) Katie. (laughs) I'm like, happily so. (laughs) Please, please take care of it. But yeah, I don't know. So now it's, it's a little bit more difficult, I think. A little bit more frustrating in a way to not be able to really engage with the culture because I haven't, frankly, put in the the effort that I need to to really master the language. Well, I'll send Claudio over then. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, please do. (laughs) He's next, by the way, as far as being interviewed. (laughs) He'll just set it up. Just going back to that military base, do you have any sense of why they want to create such an Americanized culture for you rather than just saying, hey, you're in Korea, enjoy? Well, partly it comes from the fact that a lot of the people who are there would not just enjoy. There are 35,000, 38,000, something like that, Americans living in South Korea, American military personnel, and not all of them are hugely adventurous and want to eat Korean food every day. There's a certain amount of our countries asking people to do really difficult things and in many cases bring their families with them to very foreign places. And in return for that, they try to, as much as possible, make them comfortable when they're doing it. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, it makes a lot of sense because these people aren't coming to South Korea because they want to study abroad and they want to have the experience of living in a foreign country. That wasn't the reason that they chose to go there. They were told to go there because they're in the military and that's a completely different and they join the military for completely different reasons than someone would have decided to move abroad so yeah that makes actually a lot of sense yeah and you know i think that a lot of it probably has to do with trying to minimize the amount of disorientation that people feel when they go abroad i mean you're talking about you know 18 19 year olds a lot of them 
or you're talking about people with families and children and you know saying to someone bring your th- three young daughters to korea and then what put them in korean schools for one year i mean it's very complicated so there's pretty good logic behind it it does have the negative effect that you really are in this island under yourselves and you don't you just don't have a lot of interaction even when i lived in england i didn't live on the base in england i lived in cambridge and i did have a few british friends while i was there but you have to go pretty far out of your way i mean you have to really try when you go to a foreign country in the military you have built-in friends you know what i mean you have people that you're thrown in with that you have a similar experience with and shared experience is a huge part of friendship right and you're in this foreign environment and so you you just you talk to people from home that's very natural you know even here we have friends who teach at the North American College which is where all of the young american seminarians that is seminarians from the united states live and it's it is an american enclave in fact all the uh, catholic countries of the world have their own college there's an english college an australian college a canadian college and so all of their seminarians live in these little national enclaves in a way so fascinating to me because i never thought about it that way and in the middle ages they had the same exact thing here and i think they were called the scola mm, is that the yeah. word and they were all like sort of in the borgo right all near the near saint peter's that's so funny that the same tradition has has kept on yeah. <laughs> after a thousand years back then they weren't they weren't nations so much as language the nation state system hadn't evolved right. yet you know so but so now there's like <laughs> countries you know the irish are all living together mm-hmm. and so it's just natural that you would sort of gravitate to people with your same language and culture. Well, yeah, of course. Also because you're going through culture shock anyway. Just naturally as an expat, there's no way that you cannot have a certain amount of stress based upon the fact that you're in a totally foreign and different place even if you chose willingly to go there. And I we've talked about it on the podcast before that I've lived here 10 years. I have very few female Italian friends. And the only male Italian friends I have pretty much are either friends of my husband's or people that I've dated. I don't know if it's like that in every country. And I do have friends, other expats, who have more Italian friends than I do. But I found it difficult to make friends. And not only that, it just you will meet people that you either work with or that are from your country or you know you have shared experience with. And it is easier. But I do think that you know having friends from this country enriches your experience, but it takes time. It doesn't necessarily mean that the first three months that you live in the country, you should have five Italian friends because it's pretty unrealistic. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, it could happen, but it's just unrealistic. I always tell people, I don't know if they're still organizing it, but I had a, an acquaintance who used to organize extreme language exchange, which was kind of the same idea as speed dating except the purpose of it wasn't actually to meet someone, although it happened, I'm sure. You would go to this aperitivo or you'd go out to a bar and you'd have 10 minutes with each person and then you'd switch. During those 10 minutes, you had to speak five minutes in your language and five minutes in their language and then you switch. I wish they had had that when I first moved here. It would have been a great way to meet foreign people or to meet Italian people, obviously. It's where the foreigners (laughs) keep that in mind. Uh, I want to go back really quick to what you mentioned about being the minority for the first time in your life. I have a question for you, Derek, but I also want to ask Tiffany, have you ever 
lived in a situation or been in a situation where you were the minority? Racial minority, no. I mean, I've only lived in Canada, America, and Italy. So I've never been in a racial minority, but I've definitely been in nationality minority. Technically, the first time I was an expat was when I lived in Canada. We don't usually consider Canada as such a foreign country because the culture is so close to America. But I lived in Montreal, which is a very different thing from, let's say, Vancouver. And I felt absolutely in the minority as an American, and not only as an American, as an Anglophone. And I felt a certain amount of, I don't want to say discrimination, that's a pretty strong word, but a little bit of antagonism from Francophones, particularly, I'm sorry, I have to say it, it's true, um, but particularly from Quebec. There were other Francophones that I knew from other parts of Canada, but the ones specifically from Quebec I felt didn't like me because I was an Anglophone and because I was an American. So I felt it more there than I felt that I feel it here, believe it or not. In Korea, I remember talking about this with my girlfriend at the time who had lived in Japan for a year. And we both played the same game when you got on the, the subway, which was, am I the only white person on this train? And it's just this very natural thing to do. You, we would walk onto the train, look left and then look right. I I am, in fact, the only white person on the train. And if you weren't the only white person on the train, inevitably you would end up looking at the other white person on the train and you would give this kind of like upward nod kind of a thing or acknowledge their presence in some way. And I don't know why this happened. Just this acknowledgement of another person's presence and, ah, I am having the same experience as you because we are of the same race in this society in this situation, which, again, was really weird for me, always having grown up in a white majority part of the United States. So when I got back to the States, I was telling this to a friend of mine who's African-American, and he kind of laughed and he said, do you not know that black people do this? Like if I'm walking down the street in Seattle and I see another black person, like you give this nod of recognition. And I don't know, maybe he was pulling my leg. I'm not really sure. But the point that he was making, which I completely agree with, is that we all really do seek community. We all seek belonging. We all seek some kind of recognition of ourselves in others. That's really the lesson that I took away from this experience in Korea of being a racial minority that opened my eyes in some tiny way to the situation of racial minorities in my own country. It's interesting because when I went to South Africa, I was traveling with a mixed group African-Americans and white people, and we were about even. I think we had about the same numbers. And for some reason, we had to stop at a grocery store, and the only grocery store that was nearby was in this mall. And there was no one white in the mall. No one. In fact, I got the impression that no white people ever went to that mall. People were stopping and turning around and looking. And of course, I asked one of the African-American guys who was walking with me and walking a little bit faster ahead of me. And I walked up to him and I said, what does it feel like to you right now to be walking with me? And he's like, it feels really, really weird. And this was an American guy. This was not someone from there. Yeah, I mean, for him, it had been a wonderful experience because for the first time in his life, he wasn't the minority. And so he just felt great. But he could also tell that we weren't necessarily supposed to be in this situation. There's still such segregation in South Africa that this was a place where white people didn't go. And so it made them very uncomfortable to 
be seen with us. Even our hosts who led us there felt the same way. You could tell that they felt very awkward having us there. They had brought us into somewhere that wasn't for us. I think the same thing happens in a nationalistic way, if that's a word. I remember when my husband and I were taking our marriage class that you have to take to get married in the Catholic Church. And uh, I'd never seen a North American person at my church. We were signing in and everybody was talking, all these young Italian couples. And all of a sudden I hear this voice behind me, this very American voice speaking English. I immediately turned around and said, oh my God, where are you from? I'd been here seven years or so. And I had plenty of friends from my own culture or whatever. But I turned to her because I was in this situation in which there were no other American people. It was an odd thing to find another one there. And I turned around and this girl was from Southern California. She was of Mexican descent and she was engaged to an Italian guy. And we became really good friends with them, and we're still friends with them. I think you guys met them at our Christmas party. <laughs> but that was a situation in which, you know, I immediately kind of wanted to bond with this girl simply because she was another North American in a place where there weren't very many. So it's not only racial, I think. Yeah, I hope not. But I do think it's something that everybody, particularly everybody who lives their life in a majority, should experience completely changes your perspective. I think people who are in a majority oftentimes just think that the world is how it is, but they don't know what it's like to to be the only one. They're never in a situation where the only one, or there's only two of you, or something like that. When I was working in the city government in Seattle, I had to go through race and social justice initiative training, they called it. It was really a fantastic program. And one of the first things they had us do was they divided us into white people and people of color. And they had all the white people go around the room one by one and answer the question, when did you first become aware of the concept of race? So we all go around, we all have quite similar stories about one day I was with my friend who was Asian and someone called her such and such a name and I was just so appalled and you know I then I really became aware or you know I was driving with my friend who's black and we were pulled over and such and such and all the white people got done telling their stories and thought I mean frankly we're quite self-satisfied with how wonderful and progressive we were you know <laughs> having come to such a realization at such a young age and then they said okay people of color how does it make you feel having heard this and they were all really hurt to have heard our stories because of course there's I don't want to generalize, but I think for most people of color, there's not really ever a moment in the United States where they weren't aware of race. That realization, that base realization that race is something that white people don't have to think about. You just don't have to. And so living in Korea, I mean, this was like five years before I worked for the city, but having that experience really at least gave me kind of an entree into understanding the experience of a lot of people in the United States that I just never would have had any kind of commonality with before. I'll also say that living here and just speaking just a little bit of Italian gives me so much more respect for people who emigrate to the United States and don't speak English particularly well, because I imagine they probably get treated like they're stupid a lot, because I feel like I'm treated like I'm stupid a lot here in Italy crossing the street and people driving by scream in Italian, you go back to your country or something like that. 
And you know just enough Italian to know exactly what they said. But I don't have enough Italian to yell something mean back to them. I'll write down some phrases for you. (laughs) So I don't know. It's just um, that at least gives me a a little bit of just a tiny little bit of understanding for what people go through when they immigrate to the States. And that, that in and of itself is valuable, I think. Well, should we leave it there? Some heavy issues, Derek. We were going to have a nice, (laughs) lighthearted conversation with you. But I will be interested to um, hear the response from people who are listening. Keith, I'm thinking of you. If you have a response, please tell us what your thoughts are and anybody else. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. I'm Derek Farmer. And this is The Bittersweet Life. Thanks for joining us. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.